0: IVM Today let's discover the world of a designer A boy from a small town in Kerala Who paved his way to become the artistic director For one of the most iconic fashion brands in the world Moina Welcome to Absolutely Right A show that celebrates and decodes minds of some amazing achievers I am your host Aditi Sarana I am a graphologist and a high-performance coach. Our guest today is an unconventional designer from Paris, Ramesh Nair, who is the artistic director for Maison Moina, a trunk maker and leather goods house that had been dormant for 30 years before Ramesh was asked to revive it by the LVMH group. Ramesh was born in a small town in Kerala to a father who worked in the army. He struggled his way through many schools around the country being an undiagnosed dyslexic and was part of the very first batch of NIF Delhi, National Institute of Fashion Design in 1988. After graduating, he created one of the earliest fashion labels in India and paved his way to the fashion capital of the world, Paris, where he worked with Hermes for 10 years. The recording of this episode went on for two hours. It was tough to edit as his inspiring story had so many moments that kept all of us on the edge of our seat. In this engaging conversation, Ramesh shared his story and spoke about what did he learn from his experience of working with his mentor, Maverick designer, Makta Marjala, for almost 10 years in Hermes. Why does he believe that pursuit of excellence is an innate quality and no school, no teacher can teach you that? And as I looked at his handwriting, I decoded the specific decision-making process that often confuses most of his colleagues. He will join us on the other side of this short break. Stay tuned.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another awesome week on the IVM Podcast Network. If you're not following us on social media, please do. We're IVM Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I want to remind our Tamil-speaking audience about the new show from Kadai Podcast. The previous season was Punyan Selwyn. The new show that we're doing is Sivakamyan Sabata. Kavita Jiwa is the host of this show. Basically, what she does is she retells these old classics in a modern idiom. I think you'll really enjoy that. Quickly running through some of the other guests that we had this week, Luke Catino showed up on Cyrus Says, where he and Cyrus had a great conversation conversation about fitness and all things related to that Rahul Dakuna was on Gauri Devi show this rounds on me again great conversation around brands and things like that Maru Nayath had Kavari Banzai on her show to discuss Sushant Singh Rajput's death and the effect it's going to have on Bollywood as it goes forward. Ashna Bora, who is a director of small and medium businesses at Facebook, she was on Advertising is Dead, talking about the kinds of work that Facebook is doing with smaller businesses. And remember, Edges and Sledges continues its fan series. Do definitely check that out. And last, one final thing, that cock and bull this week was really interesting. Cyrus, Kunal Vijaykar, Gauri Devideal and myself spoke quite a bit about the restaurant industry and the challenges that they're facing in this pandemic. So do definitely check that out. I think you'll enjoy that. And with that, let me get you back to your show.
0: So Ramesh, thank you so much for being on this conversation on our episode. I am super excited to know about your story, and especially about the initial journey. And you know, why you made these choices the way you did, like where this whole process began. Yeah,
2: thank you for having me on board. It seriously took me a bit of time to uh, get on board. First of all. I, I don't know if uh, you know that I'm, I'm extremely, uh, what do you call, it? what's the word for it, uh, camera shy,
3: <laughs>
2: I'm extremely shy, so it's a huge effort.
3: Thank you, thank you uh, so much.
2: That, that's the reason why I prolong things to make sure that if it's really, somebody's really, you uh, know, wants to do something, it happens otherwise so it doesn't and only let go. Yeah no thanks thanks for getting me on board it sounds uh, really interesting and I think yeah uh, we can have an interesting conversation sure. um, where did the journey started started in uh, this godforsaken part of Kerala which is called Melattu now okay. try and find it on Google uh, it'll be quite fun looking okay. for it <laughs> it's really when you say back of the beyond it's back of the beyond
3: okay so it's this little
2: village in Kerala 1965 okay. so this is before uh, yeah, these prehistoric times, <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, I, I was I was brought up in this place with no electricity, no running water. I saw electricity for the first time in my life when we moved to Pune. And how uh, old were you then? I was five, six years old.
0: Okay.
2: So till then we, the only electricity you would see is when you know we would go maybe on a temple trip to Gurwayur or maybe Calicut. Uh, okay. Uh, Everything, everything was in this little uh, part of town and there was nothing there. Well, yeah, we could see electricity when we would see, watch a movie. Really on, those,
0: on those projectors, the old style projectors. Yeah. Okay.
2: And, uh, you know, where the film gets cut off and uh, it's like, I don't know remember who it was. There was this cartoon character, Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, he used to always say that the world, his father used to tell him, the world is black and white those days. Hmm. Yeah, it was black and white. Okay. You don't have anything. You don't have color. Color came on somewhere in the 70s.
0: 70s, right, right. So when, when uh, you moved to Pune, so when did design happen? Like your whole curiosity, was it like the air from the beginning as a child?
2: Drawing, drawing and designing was always part of, uh, I think part of daily life. So those days, uh, it comes back to the fact that I'm dyslexic. I got to know about it when we moved to France. Okay. I had no idea about it. So I used to think I was dumb and mm-hmm. not so smart. Most, uh, of,
0: most of the dyslexic people have that as a, as a belief, including nah. myself. So I, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I guess, I
2: guess the new I mean, the generation now, you guys are not told by your parents that you're stupid.
0: Uh, I think new generation now, I agree, yeah. but not in my generation. <laughs> <I> so,
3: <think.
2: laughs> told by the teachers, by everybody that, yeah. Uh, uh, dull boy. That was supposed mm-hmm. to be my, Comment on my little booklet. Read. Yeah. She's seen it, so she knows. Say, okay. just a dull boy, or yeah, it, it, as good as being. Your son needs um, help, mm-hmm. kind of a thing. So. Uh, and which also brings
0: things. in a lot of shame and a lot of embarrassment, isn't
2: no, it? No, no, I was not ashamed, nor was I embarrassed.
0: Okay, that's interesting. So, how was your response to
2: it? I was like, okay, I'm better than the other guys. So it's
0: like, <laughs> that's amazing. So, so that's because of your drawing. So that's what,
2: that's when you re- you compensate your um, your feelings with something else okay so uh, i could draw and i could draw quite well okay so to compensate that lack of um, what do you call
0: academic uh, uh,
2: yeah mathematics or whatever yeah. i would use drawing as my way of getting out of situations or you know a, a little bit of comedy once in a while i guess okay I was a class clown in certain ways, so you would do that to to get over. Uh, I, I used to have a stutter uh, for a little while when I was small, and I think it was linked to uh, being shy or whatever. I don't. Know. I, I used to I used to go ba trying to find out words.
0: Like how, how all of this came together?
2: It was always there, but we had no idea. So when you're talking about sixties and 70s, late sixties, late seventies in India. Um, when you talk of design, nothing. It didn't exist. Oh, exactly. Um, you had day-to-day things. Uh, started off with uh, living in Melatu when you wanted to play cricket. Mm. The only thing you could get was the coconut, uh, you know, the, the thing from the stem, coconut. stem,
3: yeah.
2: Stem. Yeah. So we would fashion that into a bat and play cricket. So that was the first design objects. <laughs> okay. uh, True. If you don't get the ball, you would make rubber bat. It's a typical thing you see in the villages yeah. where... Kids make those little cars with a wheel. So it's innovation. It makes your brain work. Uh, When you have no access to any kind of uh, toys or whatever, you would make your own thing.
0: Being an Indian, being an Asian, uh, actually creating your mark in the fashion industry, the way you have, sounds so unachievable. So most of the time people think about it, dream about it, but very rarely people manage to cross over and actually have the space that you have created for yourself.
2: It's, it's, it's a huge fight. Uh, and honestly, it's a huge fight. It's, it's a, uh, you're not just battling, uh, you know, the, what do you call them? The, uh, notion that, uh, Indians or Asians are of a certain category. You're mm. breaking just about every boundary possible. You have to understand that India has always been counted as a manufacturing country. country. Uh, But it also comes, I think, somewhere along the line from uh, a sad fact. If you look at our given historically, uh, most of the interesting design came from outside. Right. Mughals bought in the architecture. We did have uh, very interesting art and architecture, which we kept enclosed and we made it into, you know, Institutions which were in a certain way protected by caste or uh, religion. You know? Right. Uh, if you talk about dance or classical music,
0: it was temple it was,
2: dance. Yeah, it became a temple dance. It became a temple this temple that. We never brought it out. While in Europe, if you look at art or whatever, it did start in churches. Hmm. But it went on. It became something. You know. Uh,
0: People could have access to, to uh,
2: yeah, These guys, they painted in churches, but uh, going on from there, it became something which was you know, accepted, became a normal and became something. It was given credibility. Uh, I remember uh, drawing was something last on the list of your studies. Maths would be there, physics, rest, and then drawing right at the bottom.
0: It's almost uh, like nobody cared. Actually, My father was an art director. So okay. I uh, grew up in that culture and he was a South Indian. So every time we spoke about art and cinema, uh, you know, all these points came along, but other than my father, I never saw anybody actually paying attention to how you drew and what exactly you did in the arts yeah. class. So called, it was yeah. neglected completely. Yeah,
2: totally. Okay. Totally. And it, it was, it just to be frustrating. And uh, the moment I started getting an idea as to, so it's like much later on, I went through all kinds of uh, craziness. I did. I have a degree in, bio, in zoo, zoology.
3: Okay. I'm a um, zoologist
2: in a certain way. <laughs> so I spent a whole bunch of time in my life doing things which I didn't want to do. Right. And um, I'm always thinking of what am I going to do because uh, you, know, you have your lack of uh, your disabilities, which was not recognized. Mm. Uh, I almost joined the army.
0: Uh, okay, tell us about that.
2: Very very close to joining the army
0: That's because of the Pune connection with
2: my father was in the in the army oh. so you know, we traveled all around India. we would land up in the strangest of places And uh, yeah growing, growing up it was actually fun. From Milatu we went off to Pune, we went off to the Nicobar Islands, went all around you know small little towns in India. Uh, finally, when I reached an age where I needed to go to college, uh, of course, father says, um, you know, we're going back to Kerala. Mm. So we landed back in Kerala. Uh, We were initially in Cochin. You know, that was his last posting. So in Cochin, you know, when your 10th standard grades are so bad, colleges don't want you.
3: Yeah.
2: Right. The only way I could get in was this college, which was those days the worst possible college to
3: yeah. Get yeah. It's like the, the
2: bottom of the pile okay. uh, where you never know, went to class. You were busy burning buses and breaking things. Okay. So yeah, that's a place I got admission into. Uh, did my eleventh and twelfth there. Then dad retired. We went off to our native place, which is right next to Milatu, okay. Manjeri. Manjeri Those days, I think the population must have been thousand uh, people and five thousand cows. So <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. So we went back to this back of the beyond place, and there's one college which is on top of a hill. Uh, and that's the only college around there. I, I, was, I was there, and I did three years of uh, degree doing I don't know what. Zoology, like. Doology, yeah. <laughs> I, have, I have practically no recollection of what I did there. I had absolutely no idea what yeah. to do. There was I didn't see any, any, what do you call it in French, we call it avenue the future. future. I really didn't see a future. Uh, I sold parquet, wood, wooden parquet. Okay. Okay. Because there was this guy who, was, who had bought a wooden parquet from Nepal.
0: Okay.
3: And okay.
2: he spoke Hindi. So we partnered for a little time trying to sell parquet. I've installed TV antennas. Third job I did was a medical representative in a, in a medical shop. I'd applied to be an SI, okay. a sub-inspector, a forest officer. <laughs> <laughs> I've just gone through just about everything possible uh, and then one fine day uh, you know we used to get the only English newspaper those days we used to get down in Kerala was the Hindu okay so south of India right so in the Hindu paper you had uh, you know there was a page which was the uh, job section right I don't know if you ever seen that yeah so in that there was this ad which was NIFT and uh, NIFT was basically it was put in a very pretty way I like the graphics which came out on that <laughs> okay so I was uh, from the very first batch of NIFT students
0: okay yes. so mm-hmm. the very first, first batch, batch So you actually uh, learned through the process I'm sure the institute also was figuring out what they wanted to do
2: it was fun because um, they had decided to set up this uh, school and so was I I, you know, I a lot of drama out there because uh, I was called for this interview in Bombay. Uh, I actually had trouble putting together clothes.
0: Of course, from the the space that you uh, came from and Bombay and different kind of clothing. Bombay
2: was a bit of a like you know you're going trying to sell yourself at a fashion school, design school. But mm. I didn't even know what fashion was, right? Uh, you didn't have Google to check out and see of what's course, fashion. Yeah.
0: And all your references would have been uh, no around preference. you. Yeah. And people around no you references. could have helped you would have said the same thing.
2: So there was nothing given to ask. I, I don't remember who. I talked to this lady uh, who still live in Delhi hmm. and asked her a few questions. She gave me some nonsense uh, leads. Okay. Uh, so I think a little bit of what I had in my head was basically what I talked to her. They had asked us to make some clothes. Mm. absolutely no idea what to do. But, yeah, uh, again, coming back to the story of when I started designing, so uh, somewhere in the late mid-70s, 80s, you know, uh, when we used to play, mm. uh, we used to watch um, Bjorn Borg uh, playing tennis. Mm-hmm. And uh, we used to have these white t-shirts, which were what we used to get in the military canteen. Right. And brother and me, we would uh, make designs on them. We would draw on them. So we had things like your Bata shoes. Right uh, Now you have Nike, but those days you can have Nike. So you would paint three stripes and make it Adidas.
3: <laughs>
2: but we also make our own design, I mean, create our own brands those days. So we would make our own, you know, Eastern Star, Western Star, Southern Star, whatever. <laughs> That is design. Okay. So the same way, uh, in French, we have a word called vidouillage, which is basically uh, what's the to "jugad."
0: Jugad. Figuring it out. Okay.
2: <laughs> Figuring it out. So my NFT interview was jugad.
0: So they uh, saw those designs, or you created something for them?
2: No, no, I created. I created the five pieces, and my local tailor with whom uh, I worked with—he's a guy, you know. Basically, you have like this uh, shop, which in the end of the day, he'll shut with a wooden shutter oh, right. in the morning he comes he puts out this wooden boat you'll see him standing with the scissor yeah.
0: like that's how many many tailors in smaller towns are there even <laughs> now So that's exactly <laughs> yeah. how it, it was, was. Exactly yeah. Yeah.
2: and my father used to tell him later on when uh, I used to come back on holidays uh, he used to shout across the road and he'd say what are you doing Ramesh where are you so my dad would answer and say he's a tailor like you so, <laughs> so that is basically how it went through
0: so uh, from NIF NIFT, when did the actual journey start for you? And did you discover that you are extraordinary uh, student, or people acknowledge that about you? When when did you gather that confidence, or did you have somebody believing in yeah. you? Uh,
2: there was one person, and that's this person who I have I'm very much still in contact with. She's uh, so those days uh, NIFT was basically FIT New York. Hmm. You know, all our professors came from FIT. Okay. Um, wow. We had like a bunch of uh, American professors who would teach us. Hmm. So there was a lady, Eva was okay. who is um, who is now in her eighties, and I still meet her in New York. Um, amazing. So I'm really
0: goosebumps as you're talking about this person. Like it takes so much to believe it's in amazing. a child like this. Totally it's
2: she's One of those kind of uh, one of those people who you know you need. Uh, again, so there's something which I always say, at every step in your life, you meet somebody and that person takes you, gives you like, it's like a trampoline kind of an effect, which makes you jump and it takes you to a next level. You might not realize it then, but at a certain point of time when you look back you say, oh, this is a person who made this change in my life. So, she used to always tell me, uh, you have an eye. You know, I used to be frustrated, I used to get again bad grades, even at NIFT. Mm is again one of the duffers but um, I had certain things which I was good at which was um, I, I used to do clothes which were not the typical thing what Nift must have looked at at that point of time too.
0: So in, in a way ahead of your time?
2: I don't know it was ahead of my time possible hmm. but I think somewhere and the thing was you know if I would see something already done in a book you wouldn't do it. I'd to do the same thing it has to be something different hmm. and my influences were not based on uh, what I like
3: hmm.
2: it was basically just uh, it had to be different yeah. and hmm. if uh, I would see my classmates doing something it had to be exactly uh, on another
0: other tangent altogether okay. yeah.
2: okay. so yes there was a difficulty where uh, technically I was terrible because you know, pattern making and things needs you to have a lot of mm-hmm. uh, mathematical skills which is just not possible for me. But I guess I was a bit good at decent talking with my hand. But I think somewhere I could think a lot differently. So it's, it's difficult to explain. It. You know, you coming from a very small town. Hmm. Uh, my father was against the fact that I wanted to join... Uh,
0: a tailoring school, according to him.
2: Tailoring school, yeah. yeah. So he had practically said uh, it was basically excommunication in a certain way. I was better off joining the army than joining NIFT. Mm. So there was a bit of a difficulty there. So uh, I didn't end up landing up in NIFT with, uh, you know, I had nothing to buy anything. So you would be, uh, between me and another friend, luckily I had a friend of mine, we were in the same category of uh, the miserable ones. eating food or whatever it was like really on a pathetic scale. So we find ways and means to you know, live by.
0: So that was your time when you knew you wanted to do this. You knew you loved it because you know how sometimes you know this when the external scenario or the world validates it. Here you were doing something that you liked and you enjoyed, but the world I, was still not validating you.
2: I, I enjoyed it, but there was always this thing at uh, the back of my mind is uh, how am I going to make my living out of it? Because again, you know, being when, you, when you're in the first batch of NIT, uh, we did not have any, uh, what do you call it? somebody ahead of you to say, this is a workable job. We had no
0: model or references.
2: But, uh, no. We didn't have a, a bunch of kids who were before us who said, hey, listen, I've got a job here. It's working. We had absolutely no clue. Uh, so again, it would go down to the singer. I have done the studies. What's the, what, what What am I going to, where am I going to earn my living kind of, uh, you know.
0: So, uh, so, when was the first job? When did actually, you know, you're we talking about all the anxiety or the curiosity about what, what I'm going to do. When
2: uh, you know, I, I was, I think, among the first to get a job. Hmm. Uh, I okay. worked at an export house. I will not tell you which one. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, and I lasted exactly for six months. And I went back to the NIFT hostel, by the way. I had okay. no play, nowhere else to go.
0: Oh, that's amazing.
2: So I went and stayed back in the, stayed with her sister.
0: <laughs> really?
2: Yeah, her sister was my junior. So <laughs> I went and stayed with her sister. So whenever the warden would come, yeah. I had to hide under the bed or I had to hide in the bathroom. <laughs> oh my
3: God. Oh I God. Went, through, went
2: through, I think, a year or not, almost a year of
3: yeah.
0: Hiding. Or, you stayed there yeah. in hiding for one year
2: because you would get short, small little jobs. Nothing to really live on in that sense to you know, um, to pay your rent. No, yeah. I'd sell sketches. If uh, each sketch would be hundred rupees, uh, sometimes they take it. Sometimes they go photocopy and bring it back. And
3: sure. you
2: know, so that. So after that, I don't know if you heard of this. You must have. Ogan the shop. Ogan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Ogan was my first decent job.
0: So from there, the journey began and people started noticing your work and people started understanding yeah, yeah. how different you were. Uh,
2: yes. I, there was a bit of a touch of success there. I, I was the person who started off the in-house collection for Ogan. Hmm. Paris happened. It had happened in my head right from the day I was at NIFT.
3: Okay.
2: I would go through books or magazines and uh, dream of these things. Um, we were really on the cheapest of the cheapest idiots. So, you know, somebody's come back uh, on holidays. Mm. We would ask them to bring us um, shopping bags from some of the fashion houses. <laughs> so we would be walking around with a bag which said, uh, San Lujan. And that is to be where we put all our files and books in. So that was Paris those days, but nothing more than that. Collecting empty perfume bottles. Uh, that was important. Uh, Ninety-three, I went to Italy on a scholarship in Lax Foundation, hmm. and I realized that it was my stuff which was being talked about. Now, uh, Not I done strange things. I'd taken, I taken, you know, uh, agarbattis. Hmm. I had a whole bunch of agarbattis lying in uh, my office. Okay, so I taken that and made holes on organza.
3: Okay, <laughs>
2: they liked it, huh. and they said, "Oh, can you make us?" And uh, you know, there were dresses with like. I don't know how many holes after some time I was getting intoxicated by the smoke. <laughs> so I used to sit outside and make holes, patterns with holes. Yeah. Uh, there was once, uh, you know, I had done, put some stones on a jacket.
3: Mm.
2: And the guy thought, he asked me, can you, uh, can you do the, I mean, can you sew the stones? I said, yeah. I didn't realize he wanted me to do the entire jacket. It's like what we pay, a, a, you know, a karager.
3: Yeah.
2: I was doing that. So I made an entire jacket made of stones and uh, blisters on my fingers and things. Yeah. And it not just was a central piece of the collection, yeah. he started getting orders on it. And that's when I said, shit, this is like serious nightmare. Yeah. So I was sitting and doing this for months, I would be sitting and sewing stones.
0: Oh amazing.
3: So
2: at a certain point, I realized that uh, I am good.
0: So yeah. what I'm understanding from your story, and I think one thing that listeners should also connect with, their journey is, uh, you know, so many times things don't fall in place and you do not see a clear path. But in that moment or in that phase of your life, you're supposed to or if you choose to do whatever comes your way and still hold on to the journey, things start changing.
2: You have to, you know, I I was reading somewhere, uh, a lot of guys, I I would put myself in that category. I think I saw, I don't know who else, there was a few other guys who, done good in life
3: hmm.
2: uh, it was not because of talent it was not because of um, luck
3: hmm.
2: it was purely grit grit is something which is much more effective than uh, you know having somebody push you Having um, it's just pure grit it's something which I tell my wife also quite often it's like, yeah you might be kicked 10 times but the whole ability to come back stand up and fight again there is billions
0: to do that's that, awesome that every yeah. time and for that
2: you have to be skinny you have to be undernourished, and you have to be hungry. Yeah. Sure.
3: sure.
2: You know, you go on holidays, you go back home, uh, your mother tells you, why the hell are you troubling yourself?
3: Mm.
2: Uh, you're looking calm so and uh, you've gone black, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what is the point of doing this? Yeah. You just go back, because you keep fighting. And, uh, mm.
3: yeah.
2: In a part of your... There's a part of you. So, my father never this is something which we discuss again quite often. So, uh, father never believed the fact that I was doing okay. Cause mm. at a certain point of time, yes, I was doing these freelances. I was making a hell of a lot of money.
3: Mm.
2: In those days it was always cash. Mm. So you'd get a wad of notes uh, at the end of the week. Mm. So I bought back you know, backpack and a huge wad of notes just to, show Just to show my dad, listen, I'm making money. Mm. He thought I was selling drugs. or <laughs> He was really furious. He said, what the hell are you doing in life that you're getting this kind of money?
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> so even that didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I said, no, there's no point. And even very recently. So when we came to Paris and I would get these um, uh, fantastic, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Vogue magazine or whatever hell is written. Something... Uh, Financial Times so or whatever, and it, it, at every level is supposed to be higher.
3: Hmm.
2: I'd send that across, no re- reply. And my mom used hmm. to ask me, uh, What's that magazine called? Nana? Manorama magazine or something. When will She's you be covered
0: master. by that? Yeah,
2: she says, How is it possible that they don't, you know, you're not there on that? <laughs> I'm like, Okay, you know, this no point in getting into it. <laughs> Yeah, she would keep some of them, and I think yeah, the the reckoning she got was quite recently when uh, Yeshudas gave, you know, he fell what is it, yes. for, recognized my work. Okay. Yeshudas did it. Mom was, I sent her for it, but way.
0: Oh. <laughs> so that for and that I, that was the moment of her life. Like everything made so,
2: sense. She's to put it up in the in the living room, and she shows it to everybody. So. <laughs> <laughs> so you can be on the Fortune Five Hundred or whatever; it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, not for your parents.
2: I went back to school. I went back to school. When I was thirty-four years old, around that yeah, year, thirty-three or thirty-four years old. so uh, that was quite fun too because um, they, you know, there's a school called EFM Institute for César de Development, which is a very what do you call uh, name uh, fashion yeah, no. school at a very high level, but it's basically a management school. Okay. So they had started their first uh, fashion module. Okay. You had a guy with striped t-shirt, torn jeans, backpack,
3: Mm.
2: walking into this temple of luxury, asking to meet the owner. Doesn't work that way. Okay. So uh, waited for about 45 minutes or something. Finally, he landed. We spoke. We became quite good friends. Mm. And at that point, he had asked me, uh, do you think of ever working in France?
3: Mm.
2: So I said, well, I would love to, but uh, I don't know where to start. And uh, he said, go back to school. There was a lot of changes in France. So when we were applying for jobs from EFM, uh, you put in your list of designers that you want, you would dream of working mm. with. So on top of the list was this designer called Majela, Mata Majela. Mm. He's like the god of uh, conceptual design. Okay. I put his name. I put Goldie. I put uh, some other designers on it, and you have to give it in saying that this is my list of uh, people I want to work with. Mm. Um, I remember they looked at it and they said, "Seriously? Are you? You know, are you joking? You should go and work with uh, some kind of uh, embroidery guy, Lesage or something." Very uh, pissed off about again the same questions Mm. as where am I going in life.
0: Over uh, and over again. Yeah. So it's literally like moving different it, areas, coming to all the way to Paris, but still the question about where am I going in my life? And is it really worth it? Like, am I, am I at the right place?
2: We've asked this question, and you know, looking ourselves in India, we had a certain lifestyle. She was working, Rasha was working for a multinational. Mm. I was running my studio, even if it was with difficulty. Mm. Uh, we plucked ourselves at an age where normally people would never have done that. Hmm. We, uh, she was 30, I was 35, 34, 35. Uh, normally they would have said, have some babies, oh. you know, sit quietly, continue your life. You know, you have a car, you have a decent house, hmm. whatever. You're good. You're good for a certain thing. Right. We wanted, and it was not a question of having, getting more. Hmm. It was about
0: pursuing what you knew you could do. Yeah. Yeah. Which is very and, different yeah. than only money and recognition exactly
2: can I dig a deeper hole mm. and I, can I actually jump into that hole and survive kind of a thing, or are you and you know at that certain point of time uh, whether you have uh, it's again what we talk about grit it's mm. like can I run faster than what i'm what people think i can
0: or or in a way what yeah. I think i can
2: what I think I can and your uh, your ability is always it's measured against yourself. Mm. But it's also measured against uh, what you think, you're pers- perceived, you mm. know, like, you know, in your dreams, mm. you can fly. You really can fly. Sure. And uh, it's only that we, we make ourselves, we create gravity, we create all these things. You, know? uh, you ask a little child to draw. He won't talk about is,
0: any limitation.
2: There's no gravity. There is no, mm. you know, are so that's, that's way you need to think. It's like, think beyond what you are. So life. when
0: you talk about commercial success and I'm very curious to ask you about your Bombay Paris back, which was like the signature concept so so you know your designs more more I looked at it I felt you definitely brought some humor to it you brought some eclectic yeah. part to it. so when yeah. did it shift at some That's point? A-
2: that's the cut, no, what you call the joker in me, I guess. <laughs> the,
0: the clown, the class clown came out. Clown, class
2: clown. Yeah, the class, <laughs> yes, it. You know, that's important because it takes away the serious part of your day-to-day life. And I think a lot of times it takes away your, it's a bit like a comedian. Mm. You are, you have a lot of voices inside you, which is telling you this is not possible. That's not possible. The only way you can get away is by comedy, by making people laugh. Mm. And it really helps to soften certain serious situations. I, I would, I, I used to joke around all the time. Mm. Yeah. And uh, Hermes was, yeah. So finally I was at Hermes, I was working with Margiela. Mm. People couldn't believe it because it was, uh, it was practically impossible. impossible. When I speak to young design students and I keep trying to tell them, it's like, you have to keep breaking the, the molds oh. somewhere along the line. I, I wouldn't say not just in India, but worldwide. Uh, when you make things a job, you've taken away half of the, uh, the joy, the progression of whatever, you know, what you can impart to the kid, mm. uh, the way you explain things. You have to, that passion has to be there with it's teaching, whether it's, you know, you know, architecture or whatever.
0: So when he looked at so, your work, when he saw, uh, so what had you done different? I was
2: impressed. I'd, I'd gone to the flea market. I'd picked up old clothes mm. and reworked it. So, uh, Hermes is basically ultimate luxury. Mm. Uh, there was no way I could make pieces which were ultimate luxury, it was mm. beyond any kind of um, you know something which I could afford at that point in time. Right. So, I played with things which was basically you know ideas where um, I'd taken a trench coat, cut the sleeves. Um, when it rains, you just pull it up, put it over your head. Just conceptual ideas.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: There was a jacket, uh, half of a jacket,
3: mm-hmm.
2: where you put your hands inside, was uh, lined with cashmere. Mm-hmm. So you have keep your hands warm.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, small little touches. You know, there's a jacket you pull up, the sleeves stay because there's something I've fitted inside. Just little pieces. And I think about five or six uh, different things. Mm-hmm. Exactly what I had done for my NIFT interview, 20 years back.
0: Oh my God.
2: Yeah. Right. The same way, because I, my ability to communicate with my drawing was limited mm. and I couldn't speak out my ideas. Mm. But what I could make with these small little things, there she's back. That seemed to work, yeah.
0: Okay. So yeah.
3: You, you... I think he
2: saw three pieces and he said, uh, he said, when are, you, when are you joining?
0: Oh, nice. So that was like a moment for you, Ramesh? Like you literally...
2: Yeah, It's like penny drops and you say, okay, I'm there, I'm accepted in the, the what do you call. It? And again, the, I went from coming to India mm. to working at the highest level of uh, luxury. Okay. So it doesn't strike and it, it doesn't make you think at all. But when you start looking back, yes, it's, uh, you know, you, you have achieved something. I didn't know, I, I, I didn't go and do some, uh, small thing here, small thing there, but the rest of it, yes. You know, uh, from working, selling a sketch for 100 rupees, <laughs> to being on another level, yeah, it makes a difference. You know, we, in India, we have a, a problem. It really comes down again to our problems with levels in society, mm. our uh, respect mm. for craft, uh, if you don't respect craft, there's no way you're going to get to the next level. Uh,
0: Can you elaborate on that? What do you mean by that?
2: I have, again, there's some nice stories on this. Um, One day I would sit and maybe write a book on it. So uh, when I was doing my NIFT collection, 98, 97, 98, my final collection, I wanted to do, uh, I would try and find the easiest way out because Pattern making was beyond me or, you know, mm. making construction. I, I was good at sewing, mm. but the rest of it was like, it start going down. So I had worked on a collection, which is called Nakab, which is basically based on the burkas.
3: Mm.
2: Uh, I would have serious trouble now with the way things are going, but those days uh, you could get away with a lot of things. And mm. uh, in Delhi, there's this place called Chandni Chowk, mm.
0: The famous Chandni yeah. Chowk.
2: Yeah, famous Chandni yeah. Chowk. I would land up at Chowk and ask uh, uh, founder Karigar who, who was doing this RE embroidery mm. but using gold thread. Mm. Uh, he had like a you know, small room with one box on the side of the room mm. and there was a little thread, what do you call it? A, a metal thing hanging where he would hang his shirts and his lungi or whatever. Mm. Old man. And um, he used to do my karai for me. So I would sit with him uh, for days getting the work done. Uh, he's never done this kind of thing because he used to do the chadar for the kabra.
3: Mm-hmm. You
2: know, when you come and make an offer of a kabra, they mm-hmm. uh, you make Neither, these. He uh, yeah. would employ to that. Uh, he had no idea what fashion he was. He had no idea what mm-hmm. clothes were. Mm-hmm. So I'd give him the pattern, say, stitch this here and do this here. Uh, I'd sit for days with him and uh, every afternoon he would go for his prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he would stop his work to do uh, to do his prayer you'd pull out this um metal box mm. metal box would open he would have this little carpet mm. He'd put his carpet he would do his prayers and it teaches you it gives you a a very good lesson in being humble mm. the first thing uh, you know it, it's something which this man has he's doing something amazing for you and it's the same as you take it on the progression of whether it's Hermes or whether it's what I do at Mana, you know, the workman, he cannot afford that bag that you're making. Hmm. He really cannot. It's my way beyond him to hmm. buy that bag. but he's putting in his heart, soul and everything into that product, which hmm. you will sell for a astronomical price. Right. So to
0: respect that person's yeah. life energy yeah. or, or work. Exactly.
2: Exactly. Mm-hmm. And this person who buys it, do they even realize that at the end of that tale of that, there is a person who lives a very normal life, who, you know, who tomorrow, if he decides to make a bag, you will never buy that because mm-hmm. it doesn't have all the name. It doesn't have all the box, mm-hmm. the orange box. No, you will not do that. Mm-hmm. You're buying into uh, an object, which you think has got this packaging, which is really not true.
0: You know, coming, so coming from the the middle-class Indian background, I always wondered how this whole idea of branding and, you know, my curiosity always remains when I meet people. For some reason, they compensate their self-esteem and their idea of themselves with the brands that they wear. How do you look at it? Especially being on the other side where you, in a way, sell that idea to them.
2: I, I do sell that idea. So Branding is basically, you know, it's like our ISI mark, which needs to get, if you go down to the pots and pans in India, you know your mom will say, yeah. it's my ISI mark, we will not buy it. yeah. So it's basically, you're giving it a, a standard, a quality standard. Uh, brands normally are supposed to play that game where uh, you know you buy it Hermes or you buy it Moana, uh, uh, it would tell you that it's made with a certain
0: quality uh, and care, and people have the yeah. experts yeah. have put in their time and energy.
2: put it. in our fine effort. that person has been trained for many years to create that. That is basically where the branding comes. After that, if you, it's a brand becomes bigger than the, the product itself. Hmm. It's what we have a problem with at the moment with logos and monograms and stuff like that, where you know, you're buying into something to make your. Uh, you yourself feel better in a certain way but you know it's it's like how do i say it's like a, it's like makeup yes you know, do you feel comfortable with your makeup are you okay to in you know, a present your real face to the world uh, it's it's that makeup and the branding becomes your makeup so
0: so you and kind of is, hide underneath that and you conceal yeah. your your actual self
2: yeah. exactly and then uh, you know maybe the workmanship is uh, worse than it's a, it's a question which i've asked a lot of times uh, you know, why do we consider something made in India or made in China inferior mm-hmm. to something made in France? Um, you know, there are levels value. Of
0: sense. Yeah. perceived value of, of our country. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly.
2: So, and certainly uh, certain so way, we are to blame because we don't give importance to our uh, you know, what we do. Our yeah. mm-hmm.
0: Now, after talking to you, I see this very different level of connection to your roots, and you do not necessarily believe that. Uh, what you're making.
2: No, you, don't to, you don't have to drink the Kool-Aid or you, it's like snake oil. You don't have to uh, believe in, it, in a food, what do you call it. You don't have to completely give into it. Hmm. Uh, you have to re- realize that, you know, uh, when whatever you buy, are you buying it for filling up some hole in your life?
3: Hmm.
2: Or is it something which you're buying to... Uh, Get recognized in society. Uh, once you buy it, you suddenly find you know you have this point of what I would say a point of depression in a certain way, right. Because you've got it, and <laughs> <No>. what next? <laughs> so yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a problem, and uh, yeah, you keep trying to fill in something. You everybody has their own you know, little
0: bugs, demons yeah. to deal with.
2: Totally, totally. Um,
0: so, yeah. please tell us about uh, your journey to LV Image and Moina specifically. Like, how did that happen? That's like a magical story to even imagine mm-hmm. and think
2: about. Uh, I think there's a bit of magic, and there is. Um, uh, so, Ernest, uh, you know, I did. I worked with Marcella, then I was uh, assisting goal team. Mm-hmm. So, all these dreams, but which everything
0: I had, that you you were on. <laughs>
2: It would happen and it was very strange. So the day Martha was leaving, uh, we went out for lunch and, you know, I was really upset because normally what happens is when a designer leaves, a whole team gets thrown out. Mm. Uh, I spoke to Martha, and he said, I want you to stay mm. at uh, MS mm. because um, Marta was Gultia's assistant. Okay. Yeah, so we... Yeah, we've gone into a circle, which is, I think, the only one which exists. If you look at it in the world in that sense, <laughs> uh, among designers, we've gone a perfect circle because uh, I've assisted Marjela, I've assisted Gaultier. Yeah. Gaultier uh, Martha was Gaultier's assistant. <laughs> so we have, like, a proper Come, setup there. Sure. <laughs> uh, and he said, you will learn a lot of things, mm. and you will learn a lot of things not to do. Mm. Which is, like, so good as a uh, advice. advice. So again, he, he's another person I would put as the
3: next uh, mentor
2: yeah, uh, cost for me to go to the next step or whatever. Mm. Uh, so Gautier finished his stint at MS, mm. I think for seven years or something, six or seven odd years. Um, I, I was going through a serious dilemma again. You know, what next? Because you start stagnating <laughs> at a certain point and, um, I was getting older, I mm-hmm. had no clue what to do. The bags which I did for Hermes at that point of time, uh, again, it is to be, I should have been fired for it because I break the rules. You know, um, There's a bag which is called the Shadow. If you ever find it, you might. Uh, it's now being sold again.
3: Okay. It looks like
2: as if the uh, bag is has a, no, shadow. Um, a
3: shadow.
2: Yeah, it's like a, what do you call it, a trompe-l'oeil? You know, when you're a kid, you put a coin and you shade on top of it paper to give you the
3: effect. So it looks like
2: a Birkin, but it's actually a Birkin, which is got leather on top of all the metal parts.
3: Okay.
2: It's a freaky bag, if you ever find it. it. I I made that bag. Uh, I get a call for, you know, some, I I, I didn't even know what it was for. Uh, Went and met up with uh, this bunch of people in a room. Uh, Actually thought it was for Vito. Uh, I was when I discovered that it was sold bags Hmm. um, once I figured out it was Moana I remember I came came back home signed the contract said okay I'm joining up came back home and the first thing I said was like what the hell have I gotten myself into
0: because the brand was shut for 30 years before you
2: no because I've never done a bag in my life I've done bags at Hermes Hmm. But you're, you're with an atelier which is which knows what they're doing. Right. I'm not having, I don't have to, you know, invent out the uh, techniques for mm. that matters. You know, I just have an idea. I go to the atelier, I tell them I want to create this with a drawing. Mm. They know what to do. When you're starting a brand from zero.
0: You have to collect a team.
2: Yeah. I am not a technical person in that sense who's designed and made bags all my life. No
0: and still the so, image owners decided to take a chance with you
2: they had never ever done anything from zero exactly. So
0: everything no about brand it has is
2: started from zero yes yeah so it was basically i had an empty blank page and i was i was doing what i wanted to do on it and,
0: and you revived it into this very different eclectic very innovative kind of a brand
2: yeah, to, to say, again, you know, you look and see what's in the market and you do exactly the opposite. So,
0: <laughs> so yeah. not following the trend again.
2: Uh, there was a lot of what you call, uh, you would go back and forth with the big uh, you know, the team. They would tell you that this is what works. and say, no, I'm not doing what works. Mm. Uh, do something different. So but just, again, jumping into the water, learning to swim, See if I could stay afloat. So
0: if we have to decode this process, Ramesh, when do you know that what works and what doesn't work? Like, you know, one is going against the current and that becomes one guideline that I don't want to do every, what everyone else is doing. But then there is also the moment where you can make any choice, but you choose that one. How do you decide which one is the choice to make?
2: I, you know, seriously, it's, it's not... Uh, there, are, there have been bad choices. Uh, there have been a lot of bad choices, but I think the the better choices overshadow the bad choices. Sure. Like, or you don't, it's like you don't remember pain, but you remember a lot of your joyful sure. things. Yeah? Uh, so mm-hmm. I guess I guess the mind takes off the parts which are sad or pathetic. Mm. Uh, I wouldn't say that you learn from it because you make mistakes all the time, same over and over again. Mm. It's stupid to say that, oh, I've learned from a mistake. No, you never learn from a mistake. <laughs> uh, it's a different mistake that you make the next time.
3: Sure.
2: So, uh, yeah, I, I guess also you have certain signs which you start uh, understanding at a certain point of time. There are, there are times when I've you know come back home and I have really thought that, okay, this is the end. My career <laughs> is finished. I've screwed up such a big way. And knowing
0: your uh, journey, it, it must have happened many times.
2: Many times. Sure. It's happened so many times. Like, I've said... All the wrong things I needed to say. Uh, uh, you regret, like for three days, you're
3: dying of
2: regret. <laughs> you're waiting for the phone to ring, thinking that, okay, somebody's going you know, to put you behind. <laughs> you figure out that the person hasn't even you know, put the things together. So, yeah. Sure. So, I, I don't know whether that's yeah. luck or it's basically that you have um, thought a little bit too much into sure.
0: between the lines. It,
2: Hmm. Which is normally the case because uh, you realize at a certain point the person has not even figured out what you're talking about. So, yeah.
0: so, over to you now, your turn. What questions would you like me to answer looking at your handwriting?
2: You know, what makes my mind tick and what, what do you think, uh, you know, looking at the way I write makes you uh, understand that maybe, you know, I have... I have a different way of thinking. Does it give you any kind of uh, uh, an explanation or?
0: Yeah. So I feel it doesn't when it, offer. To, sorry. Yeah. Sorry.
2: So when it comes
0: to uh, looking at a norm and finding an emotional connect with where you want to take the journey is the most yeah. important part. Now, most of the time uh, you discount the emotional journey because you speak in logic. You speak in what one must do and what one should not do when it comes to your explanation to other people because of your experience. And also, I would say lack of articulation of the whole story. You only give people the pointers they require to understand or know. But when it comes to your way of looking at a project, it's a completely emotional space. You look at things and the things that connect with you, turn you on, things that you feel curious about, you keep gathering them and gathering them by that. I mean, sometimes over some months, over some years, you actually keep gathering these references. And then when you start creating a process or even why, when you, when it uh, comes to making decisions, you start connecting some unrelated things. So when other people, including your wife, when they look at your process, they do not find any linearity. So do you really have this weighing mechanism? Yes. But the weighing scale is not about what is the right thing or the wrong thing is about, does it fit me or does it fit the, the narrative that I'm trying to build? And because the narrative is not uh, clearly defined for other people, they fail to see what you can see. They fail to understand where you're actually taking the journey. And this is where the conflict and confusion comes from. But for you, in your mind, if you do not follow that narrative, no matter what you do, it always keeps you restless. I would not even say make makes you restless because you're mostly operating from that creative space where you are restless to express your connections. But it That's keeps crazy. you. When was until when I feel if you have done uh, justice to the collection that you have made or done justice to the project that you have completed, you feel... The word empty might not be the correct word, but you feel that you have, uh, you feel exhausted. And you keep chasing that sense of wanting to feel exhausted, which is so different than most people. They want to continue. They want to take it to the next level. For you, it is chasing the next exhaustion where you want the process to consume you. (laughs) You want the process to consume you. You want the process to to surprise you. So you literally put these particles, these pieces into the bowl and you keep waiting for the bowl to tell you where to take the next, uh, you know, decision step.
2: So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's the reason I'm exhausted most of the time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If you haven't suffered,
2: if he hasn't
0: suffered, if he hasn't been through agony, it's not worth yeah. it. Oh, uh, that I think that's also another way of putting it. But I was like really getting to that agony as a word. So if he doesn't feel the grind or the the process was intense uh, enough,
2: that that's how have put in my heart and soul. It's always it's always something. It's totally there. Totally and what you're yeah. talking about, it's not is, what, involves,
0: God. what you're talking it's about right. uh, for other people because they do not see the background. They do not see why are you saying whatever you're saying. They question it and. For some reason, you do not have the patience. You do not have the willingness also to explain the whole story. So you kind of start jumping the bars and you start, uh, you know, pushing them through. And that is annoying for sure for others. I, I get angry
2: with myself and I get angry with them. No, but it's
0: also useful because if you understand the process, when you want to convince somebody else about a project that you want to do, and because for them they don't see they why see you want to take it in exactly. such and such a direction when you understand the process you can better explain it to them yeah. so i and would not it. say building patience would be a good idea but what i would highly recommend is <laughs> i it. You
3: know,
0: it it won't work for you because uh, uh, what is like if you decode patience as an idea is literally staying in the process to make sure that other people are on board with you and you feel comfortable but at the same time, you're extremely patient when it comes to pursuing that final idea. So as yes. I was saying that if it may take years for you to get to that point and you will just wait for it. And everybody's like, oh, yes. this is the right time. Sell it off or don't do it. Don't be bothered. And you're like, no, this is not the time because I haven't seen the final idea. Yes. So are you an impatient right. person? No, not at all. You're highly patient when you're engaged. But with other people, you're not very engaged. With, no, their, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> with their conversations, with their questions, you're not highly engaged. So that becomes a challenge. And a serious problem. <laughs> so working with your team, I'm going to say something that you already know about yourself, but I'm going to articulate it anyways. So people, when they look at you, they think that Ramesh is a great guy to work with but a very difficult person to work with.
2: Yeah. They suffer at a certain point. of time. But you know, it's, it's again, interesting because I have the, what I call the faithful followers, yeah. which are very small, very small. And the rest of them, like they can't stand the side of me and after some time. You
0: also have a, like a lot of admirers. So then yes, they yeah. they love yeah. you or they love your work. They love how you break the patterns. But coming closer to you and actually working with you is tough. And and I right. don't even know whether you really want to make it easier for others. But only thing yeah. you have to keep in mind is you don't make it difficult for your your own stress levels because I do see that as a challenge. I, I
2: take it on. I take it on myself.
0: Internalized stress, and the very moment that happens. You start uh, going away from the process that you're fighting for. And that might exactly. have happened many times for you that, oh, exactly. I, I knew this was so important and I wanted to walk on that path, but everything else in between became more significant than the actual journey that you're committed to. Very true,
2: yeah. Very true.
3: yeah. No, there yeah are it, people it continues who,
2: happening. Yeah, there, there are there
3: people are, whom you have, you have, uh, there are so many people that Ramesh has
0: mentored because he, the minute he sees a spark of <laughs> talent
3: uh, talent, is, or uh,
0: even just somebody who is willing to go beyond, you
3: know, just a superficial, he will push them. The minute he sees a spark, he will push them.
2: Some, some accept and some, and some don't want them. to be
3: pushed. Some don't accept. And it's, that. it's
2: really not. It's again, coming back to the story of, uh, you know, you have gotten something in life because of certain things, certain people. Can you pass it on? Hmm. Yeah and the passing on doesn't mean to get glory or whatever it's just passing on because it's i think it's a good thing to do yeah. you've had, not know. had you've not had the door open at a certain point of time and you just
0: want to keep the door it. open for yeah. somebody who is really willing yeah. Yeah. No, Rinpoche, you
2: get i spat feel on it. your face then, but it's fine
0: <laughs> so one of the things i feel that you struggled with is your Prioritization. Very much. <laughs> <laughs> totally.
2: Totally. I have, right in front of me, priorities, are, I have no idea what I'm doing.
0: So, yeah. so, that becomes like the biggest challenge while making the decisions that we were speaking about. So, It's a
2: horrible thing. You know, the prioritization thing is a very horrible thing.
0: Yeah.
2: Because um, there is, it's like it screws you up so much. And then I admire people in a very ugly way in a certain way, certain thought, because I admire people who can, Who it's not a question of privatization, but they have, uh, you know, you have like uh, friends or people who I've worked with, um, they are willing to just drop things to do something else because that is their priority. Mm. And I'm busy struggling with trying to do all the four things mm. at the same time. And a lot of those things are not visible to anybody else. It's just visible to me. Mm -hmm. But I'm sitting there and trying to figure out what the bloody hell am I trying to do.
0: So it comes from two things. One is uh, wanting to be perfect or to, I would not use the word perfect, but to give your best shot, best possible shot in the situation and uh, the commitment to do that. So if you have delivered a project, you know that this has to match my own standards. That's totally, one thing. Totally. And second thing it comes from not knowing exactly where you're taking the journey because you have so many random thoughts coming your way. So exactly. you would not it's know. Not yeah. You would not know. And
2: there's a big fog around somewhere. Yes.
0: And, and and suddenly and so because the inspirations drive you until unless the inspirations do not happen, you feel that sense of feeling yeah. stagnated. You're like, Okay, I know the inspiration will happen, but I don't know when and where and how to create it so all I have it's to do is a, wait it out and which is uh,
3: it,
2: it, it's it. still something very difficult because um, for artists it's easy but when you're in a design process uh, a lot of times what you see happening is people are okay to accept and take uh, give mediocrity mm. when you are something as dumb as me I sit and fight my own myself to sit and say hey you know, what if I was the buyer sitting there and accepting something else? Sure. And you, know, you have these two voices trying to fight inside your head. And yeah, you're, you're I'm,
0: I'm asking pro- this question out of curiosity. So, after putting so much of love and so much of care, when you see people do not understand the, the actual thought behind it, how do you feel?
2: Terrible. 500 times a day?
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. You're, you're terrible for. Not, I, I don't feel bad for myself, no. Very rarely do I feel self-pity in any sense. I just feel that they have lost out. It's like, you know, you tell uh, have you eaten a mango straight from the tree? Sure. Yeah. And a lot of people who've eaten mango, yeah, we've eaten a mango but have you eaten that mango? You say, you know, you know that somebody's missed out something in life sure. and you're trying to make them understand that taste yeah. and it's so Difficult, that, that's, I think, a little bit of frustration falls in that kind of way. Yeah? And then you realize at a certain point of time, it's their taste, it's their mango, it's their <laughs> <yum>. <laughs> don't it. yeah That's how it is. Yes, it, it, it is extremely frustrating.
0: So extremely frustrating. my next question to you is, uh, I know you have had many ups and downs in your journey and the way you have chosen certain choices in your life. Which was your favorite failure?
2: <laughs> What's my favorite failure? You know, there's so many big, fat, huge ones. I really <laughs> won't say that I had have have had failures in any way because I don't know what uh, would have happened. On um, you know, uh, talking about I, a lot of times, I think four years sitting in manjeri uh, trying to do one stupid zoology. Uh, a lot of times, I go back it was the prime of your life, you know, like in your 18, 19 years old, Uh, I would have loved to have uh, been somewhere else doing something else. I guess, I guess you need to, there are times when you wake up and you say, listen, I am, I'm of a certain age. I I see designers now who are like 20 years old, who are doing amazing stuff. You know, does it make me feel bad? No, it doesn't. Because there is a thing we need to, I think, realize at a certain uh, point. Also, I have friends of mine who are musicians, mm-hmm. uh, and we've had the similar conversation. Because you know, there's somebody uh, who's very famous who's a who's a singer of a band you know, from the '70s. '70s, they were gods. Now they are, uh, you know, not as big as uh, whatever, but. And you have like a youngster a rapper who's made one song, and he's like popular uh, around the globe. Everywhere around the globe. It's just, I think, it's a matter of time. It's a matter of, and you have to give out, give in to to time. One of the most important things, uh, you know, we we are all bound with a certain, you know, restricted time that sure. we get. Okay. So I don't, I don't think there is any. Question of regretting or you know saying that I could have done better. At this. Yes, maybe I could have uh, changed a few things. And again, that I really don't think so. You know, I really don't think so. I think what those mistakes or whatever I feel are mistakes. Uh, maybe taught me something. I really don't know. I've never been able to uh, you know break down. But every time you've taken a good step, you've realize that yes, that might have come from that experience, which I had, yeah, uh, the bad experience that I've had. So no, I truly really don't think so. Okay. I don't regret.
0: Sure. So, My last question to you, Ramesh, do you have any quote, any mantra, any statement that you go by, that you feel has helped you through your process?
2: I, what, I, uh, what can I say? It, it's about perfection. And, uh, it's, it's always something which is, you know, perfection is not by accident. Mm. It's by, it's a choice that you make. So uh, everything that you say, think is perfection. Mm. It's, it's choice. And I think everybody has their um, levels of perfection, whether you're as a human being, mm. your work, your thoughts. And, um, yeah, uh, one of the things is don't ever be.
0: So you're referring to pursuit of excellence?
2: It's a pursuit of excellence, yeah. Excellence cannot be, you know, uh, it's again uh, something interesting is because uh, excellence like uh, design is you cannot teach. It's either there in you or...
0: Uh, you don't have it. You don't
2: have it, yeah. No school, no um, teacher can teach you how to design or be excellent if you, if you don't have it in you. Know. It's, it's a part of what you
0: are. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was an yeah. eye-opening and a wonderful conversation. And the journey was fascinating. Thank you so much for being on So show. Thank you so In each moment of defeat or failure, Ramesh found ways to grow, bounce back, and redirect himself. In spite of being aware of his limitations, he kept pursuing his passion, his next inspiration. Opera Winfrey once said, Passion is energy. Feel the power that comes from focusing on what excites you. In our Friday episode, let's explore how you can look at rejections as redirections. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Absolutely Right. Please review, comment and share this podcast with anyone who can get benefited by these conversations. Also send me your questions on my Instagram handle at Aditi Surana. For this entire month of October, we are doing a special awareness drive around calmness called Kama Sutra with Aditi Surana. Every day for 12 minutes, I do a handwriting based meditation process on my Instagram handle live at 830 in the morning. All the details are mentioned on Aditi Surana.com slash Kama Sutra CLM. If you like this podcast, then don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can listen to us on the IVM podcast app or ivmpodcast.com. You can also follow us on our social media. We are at IVM Podcasts on Twitter and Instagram. Let's connect on Friday. Till then, happy writing.
1: Hi, my name is Anupam Gupta. I'm B50 on Twitter. I am the host of Paisa Paisa, a show that talks money. On my show, I speak to experts from every field of money and finance, from stock markets, equities, debt funds, credit cards, life insurance, every possible area of money and finance that you can think of. We even did an episode on cryptocurrency. I've got fantastic guests from mutual funds to personal finance experts everywhere. Robo advisory, startups, just name it, we've got it. At Pesa Pesa, we help you make smart decisions about money. You work hard for money. Now make your money work hard for you. New episodes out every Monday, and you can listen to my show on the IVM Podcast app or any other podcasting app that you have. Hi guys,
2: this is Ayushi, and I am Ritasha. and welcome to Agla Station Adulthood. It's a fun podcast we've got going on and we'd love for you to tune in and enjoy with us. Join us as we stop at various stations and discuss
0: different topics that seem to be bothering us and hopefully you as well.
2: relationships, beauty, just being an adult, lots of different things.
1: We don't have a great grip on it, but we've done okay so far. Catch Agla Station Adulthood every Thursday on the
2: IVM app, the IVM website or wherever else you get your podcasts.